Job chapter 16. Then Job answered, I have heard many such things. You are all miserable comforters. Shall vain words have an end? Or what provokes you that you answer? I also could speak as you do. If your soul were in my soul's place, I could join words together against you and shake my head at you. But I would strengthen you with my mouth. The solace of my lips would relieve you. Though I speak, my grief is not subsided. Though I forbear, what am I, what am I eased? But now, God, you have surely worn me out. You have made all my company desolate. You have shriveled me up. This is a witness against me. My leanness rises up against me. It testifies to my face. He has torn me in his wrath and persecuted me. He has gnashed on me with his teeth. My adversary sharpens his eyes on me. They have gaped on me with their mouth. They have struck me on the cheek reproachfully. They, have, they gather themselves together against me. God delivers me to the ungodly and casts me into the hands of the wicked. I was at ease and he broke me apart. Yes, he has taken me by the neck and dashed me to pieces. He has also set me up for his target. His archers surround me. He splits my kidneys apart and does not spare. He pours out my bile on the ground. He breaks me with the breach of the breach. He runs at me like a giant. I have skewed sackcloth on my skin. Sorry, I have sewn. I have sewn sackcloth on my skin and thrust my horn in the dust. My face is red with weeping. Deep darkness is on my eyelids, although there is no violence in my hands and my prayer is pure. Earth, don't cover my blood. Let my cry have no place to rest. Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven. He who vouches for me is on high. My friends scoff at me. My eyes pour out tears to God that he would maintain the right of a man with God, of a son of a man with his neighbor. For when a few years have come, I will go the way of no return. These are the comments for Job chapter 16. And the speeches continue. <laughs> we're uh, in Job chapter 16. We're into the ninth speech of the book. Now, uh, if you've done your maths, uh, you know, which I did, I thought to myself, if there's only 17 speeches in the book and we're only in chapter 16 and there are 42 chapters and we're already up to speech 9, um, you know, you're realising we're like more than halfway through the speeches and we're only a third of the way through the book. And um, so what happens is as you get through the book, the speeches get long. In fact, the last three speeches are, are pretty much... <laughs> Uh, almost like the last 18 chapters of the book are three, just the last three speeches. So um, what, what we find is that uh, there's a couple of speeches in the middle that are really short. There's uh, most speeches are two chapters, all the ones right up to the middle. Then you've got these two little short speeches and then three very long ones. So you yeah, were halfway through the, the number of speeches, but we're, we're not halfway through the book. So in this ninth speech, Job replies to Eliphaz for the second time. Now Eliphaz, you know, there were the three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. The three friends come and they each have a speech and Job replies to them and there's, so that's six speeches and that's round one. 
So round one's done with. Now we're in round two. Eliphaz, the first friend, speaks again, and now Job is replying to that. Now the first round of speeches, um, the very first speech had a touch of sympathy in it, and then it very quickly got to the point where you must have sinned and re so repent. And then all the speeches from that point on get more and more critical. So the Eliphaz's second speech was straight to the point. <laughs> you, you're, you've done something wrong, and, and in fact, you know, you're being punished for what you've done, and you deserve to be punished even more than this. And uh, so now Job is going to reply to that, and he's going to say this in verse 4. I can also speak like you. In other words, he's saying, I can get to the point. And he says, if your soul was in my place, I would join my words together against you. Um, so what he's saying is that put yourself into my position and you would realize that I've got accusations to blame you for, which he does, he did. And um, so we, when we read um, you know, this story and pretty much every Bible story, we read it as a kind of uh, a third party viewer, almost like a fly on the wall while something's going on. But one of the things that um, is really helpful and um, has often been suggested by you know, preachers over the years or by experts in, you know, in devotions, you know, like having a devotional life with Christ is something that every believer is encouraged to do. And as part of your devotions, we're taught to meditate. You know, blessed is the man who meditates on his word day and night. That's Psalm chapter 1. So meditate just means to think and contemplate. So one of the tricks for that is to put yourself into the position of the people in the story. And that's what Job is just saying to his friends here. If you could, uh, if your soul was, if you were in my soul's place, is what he says, if you could put yourself in my shoes, if you could imagine yourself in my position, and um, that's what we're, you know, we're taught to do as it's one of the techniques of, you know, having a devotional life is to put yourself in the place. So when you read the Gospels, you know, imagine what it was like to be a disciple and be there with Jesus or imagine what it was like to be Jesus on the cross, giving your life for all. So you put yourself into these various positions and here to put yourself into Job's position. And I don't know if you've been trying to do that while we've been going through the book. I've tried to do it. And I have not found it easy at all. I can't actually imagine what it would be like. I was sharing with someone that, you know, when you, as you go through life, every now and then someone accuses you of something you haven't done. It's not super common. There's been a few times my wife thought I did something that I didn't do. And, um, or there's been time, I remember one time at school um, where our teacher kept the whole entire group of boys back because, she, you know, in class one lunch hour, because she thought that a boy had done something. Now, she had no proof. It was just her suspicion. And I knew that it wasn't me, but I had to stay back for a whole entire lunch hour. <laughs> Here I am complaining. Um, because of someone else's sin. And I know, I know in that moment, I look back on that and say, you know, who cares? It's not that big a deal. You know, I could compare my suffering of missing out on my playtime for one day compared to Job. It is no comparison, but I know that in the moment that that happened, and here I am like a 10 year old kid, and I'm not allowed to go out and play because I've been accused of potentially doing something wrong. I'm suffering for something I know I didn't do, and I know that I struggled with my feelings. <laughs> and it uh, wasn't funny at the time. 
And um, so put yourself into Job's position and you know how it feels to just simply be accused of something you didn't do, let alone have all this terrible pain come upon him and then be accused of things he didn't do on top of it. So if you were in Job's position and, and when he speaks to his friends and he says, if you were in my soul's place, imagine he's not speaking to his friends, imagine he's speaking to you. Put yourself in his place. And um, it's, it's a great technique for, you know, your regular daily Bible life of, of um, contemplating the scriptures. You know, when, you read, when we get to Jeremiah and he gets thrown down the well, contemplate that. You know, contemplate you being there. Contemplate, you know, if you were Joseph sold into slavery. Contemplate, um, you know, what it would have been like to have been God at the creation of the world, bringing about Adam and Eve and then seeing them turn against you. You know, we know what, some parents know what it's like when their children turn against them. Well, you imagine what it would be like for God to have the human race turn against you. So putting yourself into the story is a great technique and it really enlarges your understanding and it enlarges your heart. Job says some other interesting things here too. Um, he says in verse 19, so the quote I read before was from verse 4. He goes on to say a heap of things um, typical, you know, like I, ha I haven't done anything wrong, you know, I've been blameless, I've done my best. Why is this happening to me? He gets down to verse 19 and he says, even now, behold, heaven is my witness, or my witness is in heaven. He who vouches for me is on high. Now, this is a very, very cool thing because we've got Job who lived three and a half thousand years ago. That's what we've worked out. And so this is before the Bible. This is before Moses. It's probably even before Abraham. So they don't have any sense of, um, you know, all the developed ideas that we have about, you know, heaven and hell and judgment and righteousness and, and the devil. And they don't have all these developed ideas. They haven't had Jesus come along. And, and for him to say, I have a witness in heaven who will vouch for me, that's a great insight for Job to realize that on one hand, I'm suffering and somehow God's the cause of that. He knows that God's either done it to him or allowed it to happen to him. He knows that. We've seen that in his other speeches. But now he's saying, but at the same time, God also knows I've done nothing wrong. So he's putting his trust in God, even though he doesn't understand the circumstances. And there are some other people who've done this in the Bible. And Joseph that I just mentioned before is a classic example. Joseph, somebody who has his soul into slavery, he has these dreams from God showing him that he's going to be elevated to a great position. And then the next thing, he's sold into slavery and all his dreams are dashed. So he's got, on one hand, this kind of sense that God has a good thing promised. But on the other hand, if God's promised this good thing, why are these terrible things happening to me? So he's got both at the same time, that kind of like, I know that, that, that you vouch for me, Lord. My witness is in heaven. But on the other hand, what on earth? So these contradictory experiences, uh, contradictory experience, your experience is contradictory, contradicting <laughs> what you believe to be true. And uh, so that happened to Joseph. That happened to Jesus. Now, you might say, oh, Jesus knew God. He, uh, he would never have doubted. And uh, no, he didn't doubt, but he had a contradictory experience. So he was on the cross saying, and he even knew he had to go to the cross, but he was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he's having, on one hand, he knows that he's loved. He knows he's dying for the world. But on the other hand, he's got a 
contradictory experience. Paul had this many, many times where he knew the love of God and yet he went through so much pain and suffering. And my guess is that probably you also have had contradictory experiences where you know certain things are true, but the things you go through don't seem to match. At the end of this book, um, and by the way, those contradictory experiences are a chance to grow. And that's what happens to Job. So in the moment of chapter 16, he's questioning, but by the time we get to chapter 42, we see he's grown. <laughs> His trust is, he, he's come through the test. He's a better person and he's more blessed as well. It'll happen to you as well if you continue to hang on to the Lord. At the end of this chapter, he says to his friends, verse 22, he says, when a few years have come, I will go the way of no return. So he's saying that when a few years have come, I'm going to pass away. Um, you know, the skeptical types have said um, that how could he have known that he was going to last a few more years? Uh, didn't he think he was going to die any moment? And didn't he think his life wasn't worth living? And didn't he even want to die? And why would he say in a few more years? And I just have to explain all he was meaning was that life is short, life is but a few years. So for us, we live 70, 80, 90, some people live 100 years. Those years are short, they're just a few years. For Job, he lived in the um, period at the patriarchs or just before, so we think his life may have lasted 200 years, maybe 250, but he still lived a few years. His life was still short. So what he's saying is, when my short life is over, <laughs> I will return and I will see him, the one who is in heaven, the one who will witness for me. So he, he's really looking at how short life is, but yet there's one who will witness for him. And I think that's uh, a good perspective for us to have too, to acknowledge that our lives are short. Some of our lives, the experiences of our lives are contradictory. The things we experience don't seem to match up with what we know about God all of the time. And yet we trust him because he, you know, our witness is in heaven. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are our Lord, our God, our Saviour, our Redeemer, our strength, our justifier, our righteousness. And Lord, it's true. We've had some contradictory experiences, but Lord, we trust you. We place our trust in Christ. No matter what happens to us, we choose to trust. And I pray you'd help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.